This is the ID Fanatic Podcast, coming to you from beautiful Midtown Toronto in February 2022. Glad we're out of 2021, and 2020 for that matter. Hopefully, with the new Pfizer pill, this year will be different. I'm talking while there are still trucks parked in Ottawa, um, protesting mask mandates, and uh, I don't know what they're going to do with them, throw them all in jail or something. Anyway... Today, uh, I'm recording the intro for my discussion with Connor Kostick, a fellow who works for a French company called Snatchbot. Now, name like Snatchbot, I really thought it was an Irish company, and Connor is in Ireland, but alas, uh, it's French. Anyway, a Snatchbot is the name of a chatbot authoring system. So in an earlier podcast, I talked to Ryan Laverty of Arist about his chatbot learning system. And uh, it was terrific, terrific, terrific idea and design. But I wanted to do something specific that I couldn't do with that. So what I wanted to do was uh, we had a product that was rented out that our customer service reps, CSRs, were not really well versed in. And so it was hard for them to make sure that they had determined the customer's needs properly so things can go out. So he wanted something like uh, a job aid to help them in this. So a group of us were talking about it and it it seemed like uh, a list of questions to ask. So we assigned that to a subject matter expert on the team. The questions were roundly applauded by the group, but I thought there was a little thin, so I talked to him about it to try and extract it into a decision tree because I didn't really know the path of the questions or what depended on what. And I thought it would be cool if we could automate this decision tree. And it worked, but when I brought it back to the group, they thought it was cool, but the diagnostic process really didn't go far enough. There were too many variables to be handled, so we abandoned that. And then the next application I had was forklift training. Because it was a classroom session followed by a practical session where they got to use the truck. And then a week later, someone would come in and test them. They get a certificate. So during the week in between, they were supposed to practice. But there was nothing really to remind them of or reinforce uh, the training. And at the end of the training, there had been this 30-question multiple-choice test that uh, they were sort of guided through. And uh, it wasn't, you know, and there were calculations in there. So I thought uh, maybe I can have a chatbot because with the chatbot, you can send things out. You can send uh, texts out to their phones at certain times. So I thought maybe I can send out a little quiz twice a day and uh, each time just send out two questions. So, hello, how are you? Here are your two questions. One, two, they answer them, they get feedback. And I thought, well, that's good for reinforcement, but let me make it a little more interesting for them and gamify it. So I wanted to incorporate how fast they answered into their score and then give them a score, give them a cumulative score that at the end of the week, they could get gold, silver, or bronze. The Olympics are on right now, so I'm thinking of that. And then the third thing was we have some leadership training, one-on-one coaching, three sessions taking place a month apart. So again, I thought, well, let me throw some texts at them, you know, two a week or something during this period. But then I thought, I know that in the one-on-one coaching, these people have to develop action plans of how they're, because they're personalized and the action plans are 
how they're going to improve. So let's wait till they do their action plan and then let's use that for the chatbot content. So it's going to be basically reminding them to do the things in their action plan. Have you done this yet? You know, when are you going to do it? Set a date. Maybe I can capture the date, remind them on the date, things like that. So that kind of flexibility really opens up a, a world of possibilities for not just training reinforcement, but suspending the training effort over time. Uh, so anyway, I think that's uh, an incredible new thing that we can do. And there are a number of tools that are beyond classroom and beyond e-learning and beyond authoring systems, but which also are part of the instructional toolbox because you should be open to all these different avenues and uh, think about how they can support each other. Anyway, enough about that. I'm going to talk to Connor about Snatchbot and chatbots and learning in general. And uh, we're going to start right now. So I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Mitch. Yeah. Scared me. <laughs> Your voice went a little tinny a second ago. I hope. Okay. How, how's that? Is that okay? Yeah, that's better. Good. How you doing? So, oh, not bad. I have, um, one of my children has COVID, so we're all having to um, oh. isolate. Very boring. Wow. Yeah, we, we, we remarkably have gone through the whole thing without any of us getting it. It's really, <laughs> I mean, my kids have been out and about and breaking the rules here and there. Yeah. Uh, well, Oren's only 10, he got, but he got it from school. It's, it's pretty yeah, wild. Yeah, that seems school. to be what's happening. The Canadian Prime Minister has it right now or because his kid got it in school. Fortunately, it's, it, you know, for the kids, it's pretty mild. They, he only had like one bad day of flu. And then. Yeah, well, you never know, though. It's, it's the big question mark over yeah, uh, yeah. exactly yeah, what impact yeah, it's yeah. going to have. And it's more serious for some people. And then for some people, it drags on and on. Mm -hmm. Or they get all sorts of different kinds of things happening. It's uh, scary stuff, whichever way you slice it. But. You've been in the chatbot world for a while and you have a newsletter. The chatbot is a newsletter, right? Yeah. Well, a yeah, blog. magazine. Yeah. Blog. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell I'm from the 20th century. Yeah. So that's, that's, yeah. It's, and it's, that's going quite well. I, you know, it's, um, I'm always getting requests from people to put, can they put their features on it? So that's a good sign. Mm -hmm. You know, they want to put a bit of product placement in, in which I don't mind this, as long as they're not just, um, you know, it's not just PR, that they actually do have something interesting to say. So how did you get into this in the first place? Is your, uh, you got a computer science background? Not in the slightest. <laughs> it's quite a, quite a uh, unusual path, I think. Um, I'm a science fiction writer. Oh, yeah. I was, I was just um, seeing you had a novel called Epic. That's it, yeah. Modestly called Epic with skateboarders. And, um, oh, that's the sequel saga. Okay. <laughs> Epic is about a virtual world uh -huh. where everybody's playing an online game called Epic, a fantasy game, uh -huh. and they're doing that because their income and their social position depends on how well their characters are doing. Uh -huh. And um, there's an AI in in the um, story, the game itself is. 
sentience. So, um, and I'd done, um, I'd gone on Upwork as a freelance writer and I'd done the creative writing test. And I come number one out of 17,000 odd people who'd done that test. So it meant I got some quite good, interesting clients. And one of them was Snatchpot. And Snatchpot was, um, oh. it's, it's founders of French and uh, they had a nice product, but they had a terrible website. I mean, they, you know, it was, they didn't have English as a first language and the instructions on how to use the bots, you know, you know, writing software instructions, as you know, this is your expertise, mm. in, is, is often not done by good writers. It's often done by uh, good software engineers and it's quite hard to understand. So let alone if you're trying to write in French and then translate it into English, it's, it's difficult. So they, they wanted someone like me who would convert all their uh, material into um, good English really really good good clear um you know so if you're looking at the instructional documents chances are i wrote those and then um, but in order to look to write really clear instructions i, I obviously i had to master the art of bot building myself so that i knew exactly what i was trying to explain um and so my role grew and grew and grew you know they really liked the work the snatchbot started to race up the google search rankings um for various topics that I was covering. And uh, so eventually they, they invited me to be the CMO, even though I have no computing background. <laughs> Great, so they were around for a while. How long have they been around then? Founded in 2015. Uh, you know, Which is not that long, really, but you know, for startups like, and software. Long, long in the tooth for, <laughs> I mean, yeah. there's new things every day. But um, yeah, what I'm, I found now I have some computer background, not a lot. I'm also a writer, but I did um, take uh, a first year computer science course. I had to learn Python. And many years before that, I learned basic. And then I've got a friend who, who does it. So I sort of keep tabs on. So I knew about things coming up. Um, so for someone like me, it was pretty easy to get in there because I understood basically how it was going to work before I got in there. And then it was just a matter of how easy is it to figure out. Uh, and I still had a problem actually with the, with the variables, getting the, a number, getting right. a calculation done <clears throat> and then get the, the number to display. Yeah. But, they're quite, they're, they're quite sensitive, you know, a, a, um, a bracket out of place and it all yeah. fails. So yeah. But overall Copied it was pretty straightforward for, at least for someone with a little bit of programming background. Yeah. And um, now in terms of use cases, I was looking for something. So I previously had a, an interview with Ryan Laverty at um, Arist, who is using a chat bot, but he's developed an, an instructional sort of straitjacket for it uh, a little bit to help people write right. good educational materials so that they're not just going all over the place but i need a little more freedom than that so i was looking beyond yeah. that i found uh something called our mobile coach first mobile coach was interesting uh the the programming is kind of done in the spreadsheet 
right? Oh uh, yeah, I've seen those kind. Yeah. yeah. So you put yeah. your variables and you, your if then statements and everything right in there. And it's the first time that I really understood what a chatbot was, which is really an interactive right. database. Yeah. So you're talking to a database and it's searching for things and spitting them up to you. Um, what, what, what I didn't see when with, with, with the one that I was exploring was I didn't see any NLP in that kind of creative uh, process. Did, did your one have that? Uh, yeah, it did. An ability to pass a sentence. Yeah, I think it could. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it did. Um, and then when I came over to chatbot, I didn't have to go into the spreadsheet. It was just sort of outside of that within the chatbot sort of interface. So that made it easier. But I was just reading uh, in your, your LinkedIn, you go on a, a little bit about NLP. And um, that is really for listeners, when people talk about uh, chatbots using AI or a lot of other things online, let's say over AI-powered stuff, usually all they're talking about is natural language processing, which is like Siri or Alexa, the ability to understand what people say or, or take what people say and parse it into uh, you know, a reasonable understanding of it and then respond to it. So if you've done some you talk about it a little bit in there, so I want to get talking about it here because it really is the the biggest AI uh, success story to date, I think. Right. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and it's amazing, actually. It's coming on in leaps and bounds. I mean, I, I was, I've been interested in AI from a sort of philosophical point of view, and what, what we're talking about here is nothing like the films where you have sentient robots who are usually bad, you know, and dangerous. But um, we're, we're absolutely miles away from a genuine artificial intelligence in the sort of Turing test kind of a way. But what has come on amazingly well is, is software's ability to hear a human talk and understand what the intention of the human is. I mean, that's, that has come on an awful lot. The input is text, but that doesn't mean it can't be voice because it's quite easy to translate yeah. voices into text now. Um, and a lot of use cases want that, you know. I mean, uh, the forward-looking people are um, uh, uh, looking at these self-driving cars where the person's in the car and they're, they're sort of talking to Alexa, you know, I want them um, to go here, mm -hmm. uh, this kind of music on or this audio book um, or podcast. Apparently, there's been an upsurge in um, podcast purchasing by the big aggregate platforms because they're, they're getting ready for this content that these drivers who are sort of half asleep because their AI is driving them um, want. So, um, yeah, so we have this, this NLP engine that will pass the inputs. Um, and it's our own, you know, not, not everybody in the Snatchbot sphere builds their own quite often they leverage the the giants which makes sense for a certain scale of activity um because the giants have got really good nlp engines you know um but what what we found is there's a lot of clients more around the banking and medical medicine than than you know um instruction end 
who are quite anxious their data doesn't flow through the NLP engines of the big giants. They oh. want to sign a data contract that's very secure. Mm. So they prefer to, to work with us. And ours is good. You know, I mean, it, it does take a lot of training to get human-like accuracy, but it it's pretty good. Mm. No, that's interesting. It brings up the privacy issues. Yeah. Um, as we move further into the convenience age, uh, <laughs> it seems like a big trade-off of convenience uh, for, yeah. for privacy and, you know, possible data breaches all over the place. For, for instance, right. the, the convenience of uh, using AI to you know, personalize learning, uh, to have a specific learning path for each person. So that means you have to track that person's activity through, you know, through the apps that they're using or through whatever, yeah. so that you can have a database, you build a database on which to make your judgments. But that means they're giving up all that privacy in case, yeah. you know, anyone ever wants to uh, wants to get at it not but not only that i think some companies uh set up their terms of trading in a way that allows them to leverage that information mm -hmm. so you might hear you wouldn't right mitch but um, a more nefarious educationalist might be giving away their educational product for free because the small print says we're allowed to pass this on to advertisers mm. because you know it's quite valuable uh, being able to target the right people for your adverts. So not only is the data breach to worry about, uh, there is the terms. I, I think it, privacy is a very serious issue. So, you know, I, I'm quite keen on GDPR, um, which a lot of users are. You know, when, over in Europe, we have this quite strict uh, regime of data protection where users can, um, they have to be able to have a point of contact with the company to be able to get their data removed if they want. And I think the, the whole world should, should follow this. I mean, it's a bit of a pain for business, there's a lot more paperwork, uh, but it does force businesses to put these procedures in place. Um, and as a user, um, using my you know, user's hat rather than my CMO hat, I think, um, I think this is good. This is a, you know, it's a- You say GDPR? Uh, the, yeah, the, the um, oh, what general documentation, data protection, data protection. regulation. Uh huh. Oh, I did, I wasn't familiar with that term. It's a, it's it's very strict in Europe. I mean, you get you get big fines if if you're not compliant with it, and it's basically it's a it's a regulation that means anybody can contact you and say, please remove my data from your oh. system. And you have to have a, you have to respond to that. You have to have a GDPR oh. officer. Uh, oh, that's like the no call list here for for robocalls. You were supposed to be able to call in and date your name off their list. That that never quite worked, though. I think. Yeah. <laughs> so um, maybe if you tell us a little bit about. Uh, some learning cases uh, with Snatchbot, how it's being used in uh, in, yeah. in training, I guess, corporate training. Well, I think the you know one of the very very first people to get in touch with us when I when I started was um, an Indian company uh, where they were giving math courses to their students, and quite rightly they thought, well, this could be automated, you know, and there were some advantages to the learner here of dealing with a bot rather than a human in that the 
they can take a test and they can um, get instant grades. But it wasn't just it wasn't just administering the test. He wanted to actually teach, you know, to show how um, he had a particular way of doing multiplication um, that wasn't a usual way. But it, obviously, it worked well. You know, um, can't remember the name. No, Vedic maths, Vedic maths. So it's a particular style of maths. Mm. Um, and the bot, the bot was designed to to teach his students that. And as far as I know, it's still going. Um, so this was 2017, I think. Um, so that's a, you know, and that's a natural enough use case because maths is a very, um, you know, it, it's very kind of, it runs down very clear tracks, unlike say a humanities topic uh -huh. where you kind of have to chew around a bit of philosophy or a bit of historical interpretation. Um, figuring out the factors of a, of a large numeral is, it has a set kind of a and mm. and uh, so it lent itself quite easily is a good use case at the beginning it's hard i think to... to teach humanities now by the way but uh, i was thinking go ahead, teaching math though don't you want to see you know they say uh, show your work so that uh, yeah. the teacher can go through and see where you went wrong and things like that uh, i wouldn't think that a chatbot yeah. was able to do that Well, it, I, if you put the link up to the um, the uh, the one I've I've got on um, uh, what does it teach? It teaches logarithms, right? Mm. Um, you're you're right in a sense. Okay, so so even a subject like maths, or, or say even perhaps more maths than the humanities, there has to be a kind of eureka moment where we, the learner, it suddenly falls into place. Right? Okay, I I get it. You know. Mm -hmm. Uh, this is this is what's happening. How do you measure that get itness? Um, I'm not sure, but one one way is simply to to crunch the the the, the, the number of you know to give the student a lot of questions and then see right okay so look they're only getting sixty percent of these. Um, you know I think there are ways to to see where they're going wrong if you design the questions in a smart way like you could. You, you, you are designing the questions. You could know that um, that symmetry doesn't work in in the math equation. So you could you could have like four or five that are symmetrical, and the student thinks they've got the hang of it. But then you do the unsymmetrical one, and if they stick to a inferior method, they get it wrong. So you could design it in ways that, that trigger uh, indications as to what's going wrong. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's very interesting. Uh, one way I was thinking of using one that I wasn't able to do that I, that I need a snatchbot for was um, I'm working at a company now that rents film equipment and there's a warehouse where they keep all this cables and stuff. And so a lot of people have to learn how to ride a lift truck or a forklift right. to, to get the cables, you know, storing the cables in big, uh, big pile of big towers and things like that. Um, so they do the lift truck training one week and then the next week uh, they come by for testing and during the week they're supposed to get practice. So um, I wanted to have something where I could like send them in daily, a couple of questions a day or a couple of questions in the morning, a couple of questions at night from the training material 
just to remind them of what they've learned and increase the retention between the time that they got the training and the time they have the test. So um, I find it was, it was really useful for that. Yeah. And, th and that brings it to um, a, a different level of the conversation. So it's not really about, I don't think the value of chatbots is so much in the content because nowadays I think a chatbot could deliver any kind of a content, you know, videos, um, uh, any topic. I think what you are doing uh, fits best pedagogical practice in terms of active learning. Like if you do any kind of a course in pedagogy, they will say active learning is far more important than passive learning. Mm. And what do we mean by that? Passive learning is when someone gives a lecture. Yeah. And you're just sat there, maybe taking notes, maybe not, but you, it, you might not even be there. You know, you might, you might be uh, on your Zoom nowadays, and, uh, but secretly off making coffee or whatever students do, right? It's a very passive one-way process. Active learning is a dialogue and it goes back to Socrates and Plato, you know, and the conversations. Um, I don't know if you read Socrates' conversations. They always annoyed me because he very much leads them, you know, yeah, but still. Yeah. It's an interaction, you know, it's uh, um, and it's so different. Now, a chatbot comes a lot closer to a more active learning experience because um, it's asking for a response. So, you know, you could you could send out um, videos. You, 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 oh, I've seen onboarding programs by HR teams where they just show you the videos and the, then send you to the policy and and then you have to click that you've read it. Yeah. But whether you've actually read it, they don't really drill down into that. But a chatbot can, because it can say, you know, I'd just like to ask you a few questions yeah. and it can kind of pop you up a little bit uh, and say, okay, well, to be honest, I did skim, you know, mm. being honest with myself now. Like, so now I'm going to figure out what the answer is to that question. Well, you could do that with regular web-based training. Um, but with the innovation of the chatbot is you can spread it out. You can, you know, spread it over a few days and you can get them, you know, at odd times and things like that. Yeah. And on their WhatsApp when they're on the train or, yeah. you know, whatever it's, yeah, it's a, it's got a flexibility as well. So from an instructional design perspective, um, it's becomes for me a, a new sort of, uh, what's the word? Uh, which like, you know, there's sight, there's hearing, they're called not media. A tool? No, oh, not oh, media. A sense. Uh, yeah. yeah. Not a new sense, but a new uh, modality. There you go. That's the, that's the word I was looking for. Uh, because you have, so you have videos which are uh, passive. You have uh, e-learning, which should be interactive. Uh, it isn't often enough, but it's it, ideally, you know, you have the interactivity, but you're, it's for things where you want to have a bit of linearity in that you've got, you know, some chapters to go through or whatever material to get through. Uh, you've got classroom training, which is, uh, you know, allows the human interaction, allows for role playing and things like that, which you can approximate with e-learning, but it's not quite the same as being, you know, face to face. Uh, and then this becomes another thing in that it has the time element. So all those things are kind of concentrated. And this one, you can send out a couple of messages a week or, or um, one a day. Uh, 
and you can uh, help with things like retention and things like making the knowledge a part of your life. Uh, you integrate them into activities that they're that you're doing as part of the job. You know, it's a it's a a, a very flex a lot of flexibility once you start thinking about it. And one of the other things that I wanted to do that you guys uh, helped me out with, I wanted to give a test that was timed. So I don't actually think we got never got to the end of this yet. I wanted to have I wanted to give questions and have instead of just saying, oh, you got it right, you got it wrong, I wanted it to be time limited and I wanted you to get a better mark if you answered it faster, as well as whether it was right or wrong. So the two elements in there. Uh, I'm not sure we quite got there, but that kind of fooling no, around well, is possible. Yeah, well, thank, I mean, you know, thanks to your um, prompting, I've wanted it for some time, actually. I just, just haven't got around to actually pushing the tech people to do it. So, so yeah, we did it when you prompted it because a lot of people want this kind of timing effect. Also, um, even in a non-educational context, um, there are a lot of use cases where when the conversation falls silent for a certain length of time, we had a minimum, we had 30 seconds before the conversation moved on. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times you don't want to wait 30 seconds to, yeah. to say, you know, is there something wrong or whatever. So um, it was a useful tool. So we're glad to have it. So we've gone all the way down to one second now. With regard to scoring how quickly, um, I think that it can be done, but at the moment there isn't an off the shelf within Snatchbot. I think what I would do is ping a uh, clock you know, some sort of world clock and ping it again when I got the answer. And then I would record that on the, on the spreadsheet, mm -hmm. the, the, you know, but you could, you could record how long the, the, um, the question took, yeah. I think in that fashion. Yeah. And there is a lot of flexibility and it's nice to have, you know, you guys are particularly responsive about that. Uh, when I started looking into uh, chat bots, I saw there were like a dozen or so, uh, with all sorts of names, but mostly they're yeah. for customer experience and their sales, they have a sales agenda. So, yeah. and they put a, a, a premium on ease of use because they want salespeople and, and other people to right. be making them. So they end up being very limited in what they can do. And they're very targeted. Yeah. I mean, they're designed to be sales funnels and, uh, you yeah. Know, to solve problems, solve objections, things like that. And they don't want people mucking around with it. So uh, there's actually only a few on the market, to my knowledge, where you can actually uh, do a lot of custom things. Right, I think so too. I, you know, I, I have to sell them. So I have, a, I have an interest in exploring these, these metrics. And we, we have 11% of our... Um, sales are in are in the educational sector and i think that is quite high for, mm. i mean that's there's no there's, that's second to um it so you know i mean they're all kind of clustered around the 10 percent mark um so I th but i think that's right that the and they're not necessarily teaching bots it's just that universities are quite quick yeah to, well you mentioned marking you know. uh and i actually have some qualms about that the automated marking and using a chatbot as a TA. Uh, I mean, it's bad enough using a, a McGraduate student as a TA when they sort of mindlessly go through marking tests. 
this, to my mind, it kind of exacerbates that, but it also, when, I also wonder about the privacy issues in terms of uh, student records. Well, uh, I mean, the, the universities all retain the, the scores. Um, very often the transcripts for a couple of years if they're like finals. Um, so, I, I mean, the, the privacy issue is definitely there, but it's, it's just in a new format. It's not, there's no less, uh, it hasn't created a, a greater problem, I don't think, that yeah. if you have a, an automated result. Yeah, not as bad as medical records. Yeah, and, and you know, chatbots are very helpful for them in, in medicine. I mean, we, we put one up um, really just as a help and a, to let governments know that we would allow our platform to be used for free uh, by national health organizations who wanted to communicate quickly about COVID. So we did a COVID bot, which um, you asked it questions and for answers, it, it drew on John Hopkins um, and the World Health Organization. And it was getting tens of millions of hits a week, you know, it was just off the scale. Wow. Like, um, yeah, yeah, it really was. Because that in, in the early days, I think everyone was really frightened. And you, you could see country by country where COVID was hitting because of the metrics on this bot, you know. Um, and, and yeah, so when a bot is being useful like this, when it's being helpful, mm. um, that really is, overtakes the... I, you know, I said earlier, I'm very conscious of privacy. I'm anxious that as a user of software that I'm not giving uh, my you know, data away. Um, and I want the, the right to be able to recall my data. I think students should have the right. <laughs> I, was, I was demonstrating a, a chatbot right in a, I was giving a talk to a, a university and I got the students to interact with the bot. And one or two of them, as human beings do, start to mess with the bot, right? And they say things like, I love you, or mm -hmm. something like this. What, they, what they'd forgotten was, this was all coming back through to me. So I could show them, I could share my screen and say, look, this is you talking to the bot right now. And it's like, whoa, okay, I'm going to be careful what I say to this bot now. Mm -hmm. um, so the student does need to know that, that, first of all, they're talking to the chat bot. They do need to know what's happening to that data. And they do have to have the right to have that data scrubbed. That's all absolutely valid concern but the plus side is um like you uh, put it very well it's building it's building up a profile to really tailor um and target what look you're struggling with this you know the, these are the bits you haven't completed uh, this is a reminder you might find this resource helpful mm -hmm. i mean that's 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 pretty sophisticated and like the math uh, example you gave um it's interesting because it has the flexibility one of the big uh things that i've always liked about computer-based training or e-learning uh, is the ability to branch based on user input based on you know you could do a, you could find out who the user is what their background is and then branch based on that or branch within a course but it's hardly ever done like i've been so disappointed in my last 30 years of doing this uh and mm. how little that's really uh taken advantage of by instructional designers who are writing this stuff over the years everybody comes into the thing and they just sort of do a linear thing or they do a little bit of branching or it gets too complicated and they don't want to pursue it uh really that's where the power in my mind is of uh of e-learning 
and chatbots maybe maybe push that a little more like in the math example if you're designing the questions to expose weaknesses right then you've got to put some you're not just you know sitting oh here's a few questions about this topic uh, you got three out of four right yay right you're giving them specific questions so that you can see by the answers you give them 10 of the same sort of question and they make the same mistake every time you should be able to draw some conclusions on that and, and go towards some remediation and yeah. uh, i mean you could always do that with computer-based training it just wasn't done but i think with chatbots again you know maybe it won't be done right but it instructional well, designers well, have to step up to the plate and take this opportunity to yeah, do some yeah. diagnostics I, along with the teaching i think if you had um i mean it's partly because the i think it's quite a precarious world we live in for um teaching especially at third level um you know college level so the system doesn't really reward a big investment up front in a course, but if you knew you were going to be at a college for 10 years, you might want to put some real attention to this because you get it right in the first year and it's, it's just going to be, uh, then you can just tweak it the, mm -hmm. for the rest. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot of up, upfront thought in the design. Um, I think, I think the upfront investment is, is overestimated. I mean, it does take more time and thought to get, this kind of thing happening. But I think once you figure out a way to do it, it's uh, scalable. You can repeat yeah. it with different content. Well, can... I, well, you triggered another thought with me, which is chatbots are absolutely wonderful at overcoming silos. So supposing, right, you have um, someone in, in, in uh, biology doing a chatbot course, and then uh, someone in maths, someone in physics. Now, They've all, they've all done this. In, it should then be possible to have a conversation where a student logs onto a university bot and the bot says, what do you want to learn about? And they say, biology. And you, you're going down there and then uh, it says, by the way, this connects to maths, you know, uh, and you can overcome, you can, you can join the dots in a way that, it, it, you know, a lot of universities say we, we encourage a multidisciplinary mm -hmm. uh, education but but it's very hard to actually achieve that it's more you you end up with someone who's got like like in america it's a bit different to ireland where i am in america at least you can sort of have majors and minors and you can sort of fit things together a bit here we we tend to be much more specialized but e-learning has the potential to have the whole of the university and you know as a as joined up and perhaps something like that will emerge i mean i do notice this isn't so much a chatbot e-learning now but I've, I've noticed these massive online public facing courses mm -hmm. with a great deal of interaction which is really interesting mm. yeah you, you might i don't you might have seen these so that so a lecturer might give a public facing course 500 people might be attending it and commenting and then so you have the forums that get quite lively um so people are discussing the content oh that's cool yeah no the the management of interaction on, on in online courses is a big uh, is a big issue. Something also people don't take uh, full advantage of. But um, it is fun to to go to a seminar or something and then go to a, a, a chat table and uh, yeah, really get a chance to to 
meet people and interact. I actually prefer it to a live conference because in a live conference, you, you, I can sort of go in my own little corner. But uh, when you're at a table with only five people and you each take turns, you know, there's no hiding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I think we've exhausted a lot of a lot a lot of interesting interesting content. Uh, I appreciate you coming I agree. on. We've sort of flagged where, where the future might lie in this area. Yeah. No, it's 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 nice to have, you know, a new tool in the toolkit to uh, to work with that isn't just re recreating something that already exists. It really creates a new avenue for development uh, in terms of designing uh, training. Great. Well, thanks for having me. Okay. Have a good day. Ciao. Cheers, mate. See you. Hi, this is Mitch Moldovsky. The ID Fanatic podcast is a monthly exploration of the leading edge of instructional design in the 21st century. I invite you to join the ID Fanatic page on LinkedIn, where you'll get podcast updates and a lot of other free resources of interest to instructional designers. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you have an awesome month. Bye, bye, bye.